up your Bibles tonight to the book of 2 Samuel, or 2 Samuel. We have two Old Testament readings tonight, and I hope uh, that's all right with everyone. We, uh, there's a lot of things about joy in the New Testament, and, and we'll talk about one of them a little later. Um, but before we read, I just um, wanted to say thank you all to those of you who prayed, and, and um, for many of your nice comments. Um, Jenna and I couldn't be here last week as... Um, we had a death of a, of a family member and had to run back to the U.S. for a few days. But um, it was a wonderful time to be with family, and we are all very appreciative of your prayers and thoughts. So thank you. Um, now please join me in reading our, our uh, sermon scripture tonight out of Second Samuel chapter 6, starting in verse 12. Now King David was told, The Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and everything he has, because of the ark of God. So David went down and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. When those who were carrying the ark of the Lord had taken six steps, he sacrificed a bull and a fattened calf. David, wearing a linen ephod, danced before the Lord with all his might, while he and the entire house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouts and the sounds of trumpets. As the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michael, daughter of Saul, watched from a window. And when she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him in her heart. They brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And David sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings before the Lord. After he had finished sacrificing the burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord Almighty. And then he gave a loaf of bread, a cake of dates, and a cake of raisins to each person and the whole crowd of the Israelites, both men and women, and all the people went to their homes. When David returned home to bless his household, Michael, daughter of Saul, came out to meet him and said, How the king of Israel has distinguished himself today disrobing in the sight of the slave girls of the servants as any vulgar fellow would. And David said to Michael, It was before the Lord who chose me rather than your father or anyone from his house when he appointed me ruler over the Lord's people Israel. I will celebrate before the Lord. I will become even more undignified than this and I will be humiliated in my own eyes. But by these slave girls you spoke of, I will be held in honor. And Michael, daughter of, daughter of Saul, had no children to the day of her death. This, too, is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, we'll get to that passage in a second. I love that story. But if you go back, Bima, to the title slide, tonight we're talking about joy. And the reason we're talking about joy is because we're simply just going in order through the fruit of the Spirit mentioned in Paul's letter to the Galatian church. And the first one he gives is love. As we talked about for two weeks, we talked about loving God and loving people. And tonight we're going to talk about joy. Besides being number two on the list, we also see from Psalm 100 that Matt read that joy is, is not just a good idea, but it's a command. It's a shout for joy to the Lord for who he is, for his faithfulness, for our thanksgiving and praise, the Lord's goodness, which we know lasts forever. And if you've never thought about this, let me suggest it to you. I talk about this a lot with youth whenever I work with people, that, that joy is not happiness. 
You know, a while ago, a while back, there was a movie with Will Smith called The Pursuit of Happiness. Some people really liked it. I hate that movie. Just because the title just irked me so much. Because joy is not happiness. And if you've not considered the difference, I would ask you to just consider it now. What is happiness? Happiness is temporary. It's what's on the surface. You know, it's okay, but it shouldn't be our number one priority because, you know, when I'm on vacation, I'm happy. When I find a five-franc coin on the ground, I'm happy. You know, I can have a great work meeting and a great lunch meeting, and then I get one bad email or one bad phone call, and all of a sudden, my happiness is gone. Well, why is something so fleeting something I want to pursue? You know, psychology today gives a lot of ideas. You know, psychologists will have ideas on how we can be more happy. Uh, many of you know I love researching things and going sort of down these what we call rabbit trails. And, and I got really into psychology's perspective of happiness and joy. So I just want to share with you some of the things that psychologists say we can do to be happier people, okay? Just, just be more positive. As you go through your day, be more positive. Whatever that means. Try to have balance, they say. Create balance in your life. Make positive memories. Find silver linings, you know. If I, it, put a positive twist on things that happen to you. I hate that so much. Um, this one I actually really like. They say take a break from internet and social media. They say... This is another goofy one. Spend money on things that are positive. Okay. Uh, for me, that's, you know, pizza. You know, pizza is a good thing and makes me happy. Uh, it, it also suggests, and this is a funny one too, because I don't know how to quantify these things. It, it says that we should just change our life to have more happiness and end patterns of negative thinking. Well, anyone who's had patterns of negative thinking know you don't end them by just stopping. Hey, how many of you have ever been sad or maybe even depressed and, and you've just sort of said, okay, I'm going to s- break the music stand. Good thing there's a bunch of them up here. This is why you shouldn't step on it. Thanks, Matt. No, anyone who's tried knows you can't just stop being sad. That, that when things are hard and things are difficult in life, it's like a downward spiral. And people seem to think that the goal in life is just to be happy. But we must realize that before we have happiness, before our day can go well, before we can be positive, and before we can think good thoughts, that joy, I believe, is something that is deep down. Joy is something that is inside of all of us, that is offered through the Holy Spirit. It is foundational to who we are. See, happiness comes and goes with the wind, but joy is permanent, or at least it should be. When the Apostle Paul mentions joy as the result of the Holy Spirit, he's talking about a character-defining trait, that those who confess Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, because of the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of them, should be joyful. Joy is not an emotion that comes and goes like happiness. And what's amazing is I did some research on joy then from a psychology standpoint. And this is what they say when they talk about joy in contrast to happiness. They say a way to achieve joy, a lasting joy in your life, is to slow down 
and quiet your mind with meditation and spiritual practices. They also agree that it's a very good thing to cut back on internet and social media. Funny how they're both joy and happiness, right? And the reason for that I think we all know is because of all the comparisons and negativity that can come with social media and internet use, that these things can bring us down. But another thing psychologists will say to be joyful, to have lasting joy, is to keep a journal and practice gratitude, to practice having joyful responses to life. Many of you might have heard the phrase, an attitude of gratitude. One therapist I read suggested writing down each day 10 things that you were grateful for. And if you wrote down every day 10 things that you were grateful for, that you would begin to see more things around you and become a more joyful person, that it would be more lasting. This one is from an actual journal of psychology, and one therapist said this, she said, joy is a mystery. It is a mysterious spiritual quality that is eternal. That was written by someone who I have no idea whether or not they believe in Jesus, but in a secular mental health professional journal, a, a person wrote that joy is a mystery and it is spiritual and it is eternal. So when I read these things about joy, I realize that my thoughts that joy is not fleeting like happiness actually is not just a good idea or comes from God, but it's something that many, many people agree on. So then our question tonight is, how do we access this? How do we be joyful people? And this, I think, brings us to our passage in 2 Samuel. Let's look at this passage with this idea of joy in mind. You know, for the record, those of you who have not heard me preach on him very much, um, I like King David a lot. Um, anyone who's ever been to my office has seen that I have a, uh, a signed picture of Johnny Cash on my office desk. And it just signed, he signed it to someone else, not me. But he signed it and just said, Jesus loves you. Signed, Johnny Cash. And I love it because he reminds me of King David in the sense that... It, I respect people who have a lot of struggles, who know they're far from perfect, and love the Lord sort of in their own weird, honest way, like the Apostle Peter. He wasn't perfect, but he loved the Lord in a very honest way for who he was. And King David, in this story we have, is bringing the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem. Now, what happened before this, the reason it wasn't there already, was he tried once before in the beginning of 2 Samuel 6. And there's actually a picture of it here after the scripture. Yeah. So, here's what happened. He decides to bring the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem. And, and this guy, depicted with the dark hair sort of falling over backwards, is, is supposed to be a guy named Uzzah. Now, Uzzah did not follow the Old Testament law and instead of carrying it with priests, with Levites, with those poles like they were supposed to, he decided to put it on a cart. And when the oxen stumbled, Uzzah said, well, the ark of God can't hit the ground, so he reaches out to steady it, and when he touches it, he dies. Because it was forbidden in the law for anyone to touch the ark of God. Now, Uzzah, this seems harsh, but Uzzah should have known better, okay, first and foremost. But this is... This is the precursor to our story. David really wants the Ark of the Covenant to be in Jerusalem. He's made it Israel's capital. 
since Saul was king, and he has made Jerusalem the capital. There's no temple yet, but he wants to bring the Ark of God there, the tabernacle where the tent rests, where he can worship there. And on top of all of that, the place where he left it, Obed-Edom, has been receiving all of these great blessings from God. And so David says, we need the presence of God with us. And so he goes and does it the right way this time, has the priest carry it into Jerusalem. And as he's doing it, he makes these sacrifices. And not only does he make these sacrifices, but we see in verses 13, 14, and 15 that he does it dancing, celebrating, worshiping. That the king of Israel, maybe the most powerful man in the world at this time, based on the size of the kingdom of Israel and the ancient world, is dancing in front of all of his subjects, all of his servants, because he is just so joyful that the presence of God, the ark of God, is coming to the city of Jerusalem. And it gives us this detail that he's dancing in a linen ephod, which basically, you know, some people have said it's sort of like a loincloth. It probably wasn't. It was more just like a simple garment worn by children, servants, slaves, The idea behind this was it was not befitting of a king. And David, in his humility and in his love for the Lord, he strips down to a very, very simple garment so that no one would be attracted to him but to God's presence. And he is so happy and he is so joyful that the scriptures tells us he is dancing. Now, verse 16, we see that the daughter of Saul, who was given to David as his wife years ago, when David was a a cupbearer to the king, was not real happy. And as the ark of the Lord, it says in verse 16, was entering the city of David, the daughter of Saul, Michael, watched from a window. So notice, first of all, that she wasn't participating in the celebration. She wasn't worshiping God. She wasn't down with the people, taking part in the sacrifices and worshiping God. She had removed herself already because for whatever reason, she didn't want to worship. And when she sees King David leaping and dancing before the Lord... She despised him in her heart. Now we know she was never a huge fan of David. David had taken her father's throne. But something about this action just set her off. Maybe it was her pride. Maybe it was her jealousy. Whatever it was that she despised David in her heart. And then the story jumps back to David in verse 17, 18, and 19. And it talks about David's generosity to the people about this celebration, this party they had, that that they made these sacrifices to God and burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, and he blessed the people. He gives the people this great blessing, and then he gives everyone a loaf of bread and two cakes. I mean, who doesn't love cake? This was a joyful day. David's joy for the Lord was being spread and shared among the people, that all people were rejoicing. But we have these details that there's this one woman who just was angry. And in verse 20, she just lets him have it. How the king of Israel has distinguished himself today, disrobing in the sight of the slave girls, of the servants, as any vulgar fellow would. You ever done something that you thought would be really, really great? You you ever done something that you were really proud of? And you're sort of walking a little taller, you're feeling pretty good, and then that one piece of criticism comes. That one piece of questioning your motives comes. And it just deflates you. Hopefully this doesn't happen too much in your life, but if it hasn't happened, odds are it probably will. 
sometimes when people are prideful, when they're jealous, whatever it is, we all know what this is like. When someone is not joyful, they want to bring other people down to where they are. (laughs) We even do this when we're sad or when we're upset. We do this in relationships. Someone can be in a great mood and then we make a little comment just to to bring them down to where we're at because we had a bad day. (laughs) I don't know why. She decided to say it this way, but I do know that David probably could have done a lot worse than what he did. But instead, David says, you know what? In verse 21, he says, it was before the Lord. I did all of this before God, and if it rubs you the wrong way, and if you don't like it, I don't care. Because I know that God was happy with my sacrifice today. I know that what I did pleased the Lord today. He adds a little bit of a dig, right? He says, who chose me rather than your father or anyone from his house, which, by the way, was a true statement. This is why I love David, right? He's just so honest. But, but then in verse 22, he says, you know what? All of that aside, even though the Lord chose me over your father, let me tell you something. I will be, for the sake of my God, even more undignified than this, and I will even be humiliated in my own eyes. Anyone who's ever worked in youth ministry knows that this is sort of a a mantra, that we love this verse. And as a youth pastor for many years, there were many times I have to remind myself of this. There were many times where I had to say, I I have to be willing to do this goofy skit, to, to, to be humiliated in my own eyes, to show young men and women and teenagers that it's okay to be yourself and to be honest in front of God. And even though someone may question your motives and say what you're doing might be silly or it's wrong, let me tell you, if you feel like God is calling you to do something, if you feel like in worship you just want to raise your hands and sing, then raise your hands and sing. If you feel like you want to clap, clap. If you feel like you want to get down on your knees and weep, do it. Because as David said, it is before God, not anyone else. It is because of our joy in the Lord. And then in verse 23, we have this sort of harsh ending that I just want to mention real briefly. It seems a little harsh. Now, we don't know if it was because of this action that she didn't have any children, or if she was barren, or if I read one commentary that said that, you know, God just didn't want her to have children with David, to mix up the bloodlines of Saul and David. Whatever the reason was, We just know that, listen, God did not approve of this attitude. Here was this woman removing herself from worship, and not only was she removing herself from worshiping God, but she was judging those who were. And God did not like it. Above all else, we can see that God wants us to be joyful people, and when we see someone dancing, when we see someone being joyful before the Lord, to come alongside them and be joyful with them. Because joy is joy before the Lord. I want you to look at Galatians chapter 1. I put it up on the screen. This is the Apostle Paul talking to the Galatian church before he even gets to the whole thing of the fruit of the Spirit. When he's talking about his ministry, he says, Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. It's a simple question, church. Who are we here for? 
Because if you want to be a joyful person, you must understand that your motivations begin with who you are here for. Are you pleasing people or are you trying to please God? Consider your motives for what you do. Is joy a value you hold? Is joy in the Lord a paramount value to you? Or are we going through our day looking at people and trying to impress a boss, trying to impress a coworker, trying to impress someone else? See, when we try to impress people and we try to impress uh, humans, it turns into happiness. And it turns into these circumstantial things that look good and feel good, but deep down inside there is no joy. And as I mentioned before, it's not just a switch we turn on. We know it's difficult. You know, this is why we struggle, but we must remember, remember, excuse me, that just like anything else we learn about God and about our own lives, that it takes practice. That it takes practice to be joyful. Many of the things I mentioned about the psychologist talking about making a list and practicing gratitude, Christians have been doing for thousands of years. You know, monks, you know, thousands of years ago used to write down all the things they were grateful for at the end of the day and pray over them. Christians have been trying to achieve this joyful mentality. It's nothing new. But we have forgotten it somewhere along the way. Somewhere along the, le- along the way, <clears throat> excuse me, we believed the lie that happiness comes in circumstance and what's happening around us. And let me just say this, if you have no joy in the Lord and you say this is nonsense and I don't understand, let's talk, let's get a coffee, let's read scriptures, let's talk about what God has done for you. But if you're a Christian, and if you are a Christian and you say, like I said before, that you claim the name of Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then he has promised you the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life, and that Spirit is to be something that brings joy that you share with others. You are to be a person, a brother and a sister, a child of God who gives the joy of the Lord to this world because you have the very Spirit of God dwelling inside of you. That same Spirit that was dwelling in the Ark of the Covenant that brought so much joy to David is dwelling inside of you. You know, here we are, in Lent. And some of you come from churches that practice Lent. Some of you have never done anything for Lent. This is a perfect time to sort of set aside and practice being joyful. I mean, you could take five minutes at the end of your day and just make a short list of five things you're grateful for each day or how you saw God working and just say a little prayer. Lord, thank you for these things. You could do it at the end of each week if you don't have time at the end of the day. You know, one of the things I do, and I do this all the time, is I walk through my day and I say things out loud. You know how sometimes the clouds break when you're walking in the afternoon and you just sort of stop, or you're sitting at a train stop and the sun hits your face and you just go to, you know, and you see all these people lined up facing the sun like lizards? I love it in the morning when, when it's sunny in the morning. And before I go into work or before I go and start my day, I just get some sunshine on my face. And it's just sort of a, thank you, Lord, for the sunshine. Go on your day. Maybe it's thank you, Lord, for this night's sleep. Maybe it's thank you, Lord, for this lunch. Thank you for this work day. You know, being joyful is something that we must practice and we must work at. Because otherwise what happens is we believe the lies of the world and we place our our joy in things and it doesn't work. 
I want to mention something real briefly because it's something that, um, as a pastor, I've come across before and talked with people. Um, there is a very serious thing, and I'm not saying this lightly. Joy is not just something that's easy for everyone. There are those who struggle with depression. There are those who have other things that are going on. Sometimes it's a chemical problem. Sometimes it's a very, very, very hard circumstance that leads to depression. But I want to say this to you. Even still, in the midst of some of the worst oppression you can imagine, that joy is possible for the believer in Jesus Christ. Joy is always available to the believer. And this is a real struggle. Sometimes even our chemicals in our brain can fight against us. And we as Christians should be willing to use all the tools we have. Counseling and therapy, sometimes medicine, sometimes meeting with Christians to talk about our struggles. But we can use all the things God has given us to try and understand this joy. But even those things come under that umbrella of working and practicing to be joyful people. And I want to bring this up because sometimes it helps me understand when, when I'm struggling to understand a principle or a concept, it always helps me to understand the opposite, right? And so I thought about this to myself, and I was wondering, what is the opposite of joy? And at first I thought sadness, and I'm sort of trying to think, how could I, that doesn't, it doesn't really work, because sadness, sometimes I can be joyful, but still be sad. And I'll talk about that in a second, but what I realized in Scripture, the opposite of joy and joy in the Lord is what Scripture calls a hard heart. And I really believe this. Look at this passage from the book of Matthew. He's quoting the book of Isaiah, but this is what Jesus says, and I added the emphasis in bold. It says, For this, people's heart has become callous. Their heart has become hard. They hardly hear with their eyes, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. See, when we can't see joy, when we can't feel joy, when we can't give joy, maybe our hearts have become hard. Maybe to see joy increase, you need to look where your heart is hardest. Maybe to find joy in your life and to become a more joyful person in the Holy Spirit, you need to look where your heart is hardest, where you have wounds, where you have pain, where you have hurt from the past. Because many people think they need to sift through all of that stuff first before they can find joy. But, but what that's trying to access is just happiness, and it's just trying to get rid of difficult circumstances so they can be happy. To be joyful is to trust in God. And in being joyful and in trusting the Spirit, we find healing. Because a joyful life can bring healing. And finally, and lastly, I just want to say this, that we don't practice joy because it's good for us, but because it's good for everyone. Joy creates unity. Consider this story. Consider the story we read about King David. His joy brought so many people together, brought so much charity from him. But what happens when someone has a hard heart and there's pride and ego in the way it creates disunity. Michael, the daughter of Saul, was trying to get David to be away from his joy and to create disunity and to create division. And David said, I don't care what you think. This is between me and God. And I experienced this so powerfully last weekend, you know. Joy is good for everyone. 
You know, we were at um, Jenna's grandmother's funeral, and her grandmother was 88 years old. And man, did she love the Lord. And here we were, a family in mourning. And at the wake, if you don't know what a wake is, basically you go to the funeral home and you have some pictures out and flowers, and, and people come and visit. And they kind of walk through the line, and the whole family's there greeting. And it was funny because there's a family time beforehand where we all get to visit before people come and visit. And, and everyone was sort of joking around because we were laughing and talking and sharing stories about this wonderful woman. And everyone said, do we need to stop laughing? Do we need to sort of tone it down and pretend to, or just be more somber here? And we realized, no. This was a sad time, but over and over again it came up that this woman loved the Lord and she was a joyful person. And it was evident, even though this was a sad time, it became a joyful time of celebration. See, a life lived with joy can bring unity and even more joy even after your very death. Consider the power of joy. That if you live your life in a way that honors God and brings joy, and you say, I don't care what the world thinks, I'll do whatever I want before my God, even after death, it can bring unity in worship. It can have lasting effects beyond when we leave this earth. Our family was gathered together laughing and sharing stories and jokes about this woman because her joy was so evident. And more and more people would come up to us and say, thank you so much. She was such a loving person. She was such a joyful person. Joy not only can, can help you reveal where you need healing, it can also bring unity. It can bring unity to the church. It can bring unity to all of these things we desire unity in. So brothers and sisters in Christ, tonight, let me just encourage you. Celebrate joy. Practice gratitude and thanksgiving. You know, we must realize that God has called us to more than what we may just feel like in any given situation. God has called us to more than anything that circumstance or happiness can dictate. Joy comes from the very Spirit of God. It brings healing. It brings unity. And it softens our hearts to the things God is doing all around us. God has given us joy through the Spirit that we should choose to live by it and practice it each and every day. And my prayer for us is that we would be a joyful church. Please pray with me. Lord, here we are. Your sons, your daughters, your children. Show us where our hearts have become hard. Show us where we have pushed out the joy of the Holy Spirit. And Lord, let that Spirit come to life inside of us and bring healing, to bring unity, to bring reconciliation, and to bring joy. That we would share the light of Christ through all we say and do. And we would be willing to do whatever it is you call us to do. We pray all these things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.